The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. We are skipping the World Series entirely so we can talk about UCF's bye week. Um, Murphy, big game, big yeah, game, big week. I, yeah, yeah. Well, well, bye, man. They've been just wrecking people. And, 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 you know, you play them and you move up in the in the polls, right? Yeah, Oklahoma moved up, Florida moved up. So, I mean, they, they, they've obviously been battle-tested. I mean, bye yeah. seems to play a big team every week. So it'll be a big challenge for UCF. Not only that, I mean, they play everybody on the. They literally play everybody on the schedule. I mean, you know, what yeah. can you do? Well, the I mean, biggest thing. Well, the biggest. The biggest thing I'm worried about is we're playing by, and we don't even know who's going to start a quarterback. I know. No, I know. There's. I mean, we're pretty banged up right now. Yeah, I mean, who's by even going to throw out there? Yeah. We, we're not even sure. Yeah, there's no film on them. I mean, it, unbelievable. Anyway, we are. Uh, we are SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret uh, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Spokes underscore Murphy, and Eric Lopez Elo. You can also subscribe to this podcast on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in wherever fine podcasts are given away completely free so uh well here we are boys we'll start with uh we'll get to our olympic sports a little bit later we'll have todd dagenet from ucf volleyball joining us his team has another big home weekend coming up we'll talk uh also about the big games coming up for ucf women's soccer ucf men's soccer as well but we start with football who's not playing uh but you know can't complain about the situation right now for UCF. It, 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 you're seven and zero heading into uh, the bye week, and the rather stunning way that the previous game against East Carolina was uh, handled. Um, Murph, you were up in uh, beautiful Greenville, and it is beautiful up there. And um, talk about playing it close to the vest. UCF did all they could to prevent anyone from knowing that they were going to start Daryl Mack Jr. at quarterback. And lo and behold, I was watching the telecast on ESPN. And when UCF t- takes the field, you know, they always roll that little highlight package of the starting quarterback, right? You know, like, let's take a look at what they've done this year. <laughs> they rolled the McKenzie Milton highlight package. And then all of a yep. sudden, poor Beth Moens is like, wait a second. We've got to change a quarterback. It's not Mackenzie Milton. It's Daryl Mack. Yeah. And out trots Daryl Mack. Um, before we get to uh, before we get to your thoughts on how that works from a production perspective, Eric Lopez, Brian, Brian do you mean considering the fact I've worked with ESPN and the yes. official stats department? Yeah. Yeah. I have a good idea. Um, I know what Eric Lopez, uh, uh, Brian Murphy was there any hint at all that this might go down no i mean even going back to the night before friday night ucf uh football puts out pictures of mckenzie milton 
in the ESPN production meeting, yeah. the pregame production meeting. Uh, so they're talking to they, – they obviously have full expectation that he's going to play, and why is Milton in this meeting if he's not going to play? So he's in there. Look, and then, here's photos of him in the meeting. <laughs> yes. Now, they have done that before, so I wouldn't say that that was completely just a put-on because they have done that. They did that uh, before the Memphis game as well. But, you know, then McKenzie gets out there at around uh, 5.30, starts throwing in his warm-ups, and it looked like there was some sort of protective wrapping, some something on his on his ankle. I believe it was his right foot or right ankle. So that was something that I, I sort of saw, and maybe we 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 closed up on that. But he looked pretty much unaffected as he was going through his warmups. Uh, then he then he got involved in the wide receiver drills, which he does frequently uh, before games, and was. Trying to do his best Odell Beckham one-handed catch impressions, which is something he does regularly. So if he's got a hurt ankle, he's certainly leaping off of it pretty well. Uh, so that seemed fine. Then he comes back out uh, pregame in full pads, full uniform, helmet on, and he's launching the ball from the from midfield to the end zone. So any worries about maybe a shoulder injury seem to be okay. He's got enough arm strength to go out there. So, yeah, everything seems good. And uh, then – He's in the he's in the huddle after the kickoff. Knights yep. get the ball first. He's got his helmet on, and he's not on the field. And it's just like, oh, okay. They the, I, they did everything. <laughs> it was really an amazing. The choreography of this was just unbelievable. If you were watching on TV, and I was watching very closely, especially the first few possessions, because I was thinking along the lines of everybody, like, because Max struggled those first three or four trips and and i was watching i was like they're gonna put him in there at some point right and and you're watching him put his helmet on you're following twitter and people are like he was warming up he's warming up up. you know he's got his helmet on and and here's the best part was like a couple times in those team huddles murph i'm wondering if you saw this and eric too like they would espn would show the team huddle before they're going to go out there for possession two or three Milton's in the middle of it with his helmet on. Mac it Mac does not have his helmet on. And then all of a sudden, at the last possible second, Mac trots out there, putting his helmet on as he's on as he's entering the field, and Milton goes back to the sidelines. It was I mean, I don't know to what extent they actually practiced that part of the deception, but it was pretty well choreographed how they had that all down. I was impressed. I was I wasn't even mad. I was impressed. Yeah, maybe maybe we are you know giving them a you know too much credit. I don't know. Maybe this was just like the way it unfolded, and they wanted to hold it you know to to the very start of the game, and their plan was to never to play Milton no matter what. Maybe they didn't want to look like Milton was going to enter the game. It just that's the way he that's the way he prepares. Mm. He wants to be fully invested in the game, so he's taking it upon himself. To put his helmet on and to be in that pre-snap huddle on the sidelines, I don't think that was anything of Josh Heupel's doing. I think that's totally Mackenzie Milton just trying to be a competitor and trying to be involved in a game in which he knows he, he will not be. But uh, if Heupel, you know, sort of, if there's any sort of chore- choreography to any of that, it was it was brilliant because we did think until UCF really started pulling away in the second quarter uh that yeah they're gonna make a change here they gotta bring in milton they gotta bring in milton well it never happened and then it never really needed to happen lopez you talked to me when this was going on you're like i don't like the way this is handled this was being handled why 
Well, here's the thing. I, you're playing East Carolina. I, first of all, right. first of all, and let, let me and then let me bear let me bear one thing in mind. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm sorry, but let me bear one thing in mind. Okay, got a beat up starting quarterback. Right, took a right. beating the previous week. Didn't practice, by the way. You're Correct. playing according a, to reports. You're playing a according to reports, namely by Brandon Helwig of UCFSports.com. And many others, right, you're, right. and several others. All right, you're playing a bad defense. East Carolina is not very good on D. They're one, they're in the bottom third or bottom two teams in the American and basically every defensive category. However, they have the number one leader in sacks in the nation. So they have a guy who can get to the passer. So if you're thinking, all right, we can beat this team as a team, but I don't want something freak, some freak accident happening where this guy blows up our quarter, our, our quarterback. You know, I can understand why. However, you may go, Eric. I think Josh Heupel went into that game knowing he was going to start Mac. Now, oh yeah, I will of course. say this: <laughs> I think he might have been the only one that knew that. I actually don't think the players knew including Mackenzie Milne, and I don't think this was Corey Agger. I think Mackenzie Milne thought he was going to play. I really do. I don't think because... I was going to say, why do you think that? that? Because there's been reports, Brandon has speculated on his message boards as well, that he didn't practice a ton during the Memphis week. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but he's been banged up all season. This is not just a one-week thing. Now, he got banged up in the Memphis game and all that, but he's been banged up. I think Milton thought he was going to play, and I definitely think Milton thought he was going to play when Max struggled. Um, I think Josh Heupel in his mind felt the only way I'm going to play Mackenzie Milton is if things go really bad and we're losing and we're losing and not losing three, nothing uh, credit to him from yeah. a patient standpoint. Cause our fan base wasn't, no, <laughs> he was the, he was the mo- man. I don't ever want to play poker against Josh Heupel in my um, entire life. He was the most patient guy <laughs> and but, three, yeah, nothing right, at right. the end of one and every, and everyone was freaking out. <laughs> well, look, I mean, Matt got better as it went on and all that. So I don't think – like, if if UCF was trailing, let's say they were losing at the half, or let's say they were down two scores, I think you see Milton play in this game. I agree. So I think that's why you saw what you saw. And I think from McKenzie's standpoint, I think he was mentally trying to stay in the game. I don't think this was like a show. I think this was more as far as what you saw in the huddles. I think Milton generally thought, hey, I could come in at any moment here especially early in the game when things were not going well. Um, so I think that's what happened. Now, you asked about the broadcast. I could tell you. Because um, <laughs> they were all thrown off, man. That whole crew, they they, they, they had no idea. No one get, well, yeah. yeah. And, and, they weren't informed of any of this. Yeah. And, and Beth, Beth Moens came it. out and actually said during the telecast, she said, one of the UCF sports information people, I'm, I'm guessing that was either Andy Seeley or uh, or Dan Forsell. It was Andy. It was Andy went in there? Okay. So Andy went in there and said, guys, like when they took the field, he said, guys, McKenzie's not starting. Game time decision by coach. And that's what Beth reported. And Beth is a good reporter. And that's what she went with. But you could tell that they were visibly like, what the hell is going on here? Correct. You know, Because they weren't informed of it. And this is... This is, and Beth does NFL. This is the thing that, and I think college football is, is where this is going to be addressed. I think in the coming years, as we have more states now legalized gambling, and that is the lack of information that comes out from these programs. Uh, that's what happened. Everything's in secret in the NFL. That thing wouldn't be tolerated. You have to put somebody's questionable, somebody's doubtful. Right. So as a result, you know now there's a question. Well, 
Nobody knew that Mackenzie Melton was banged up. Nobody knew why, because nobody's asking these questions. Nobody, nobody asked this question during the week. Nobody knew that Mackenzie Melton. So if you're a national broadcast, you don't, you know, and you're trying to find information where well, you don't see anything that would give you a red flag that say, wow, you know, Mackenzie Milton may not play. There was no indication. Well, as you got mentioned, he what, was in the team meeting. So nobody, I guarantee you, nobody informed the ESPN, hey, look, he, there's a chance he may not play. Trust me, that was never informed to the, the yeah. to the crew. And as so the crew is, and I know this because I've been a part of those meetings. They meet on the day before. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton is the focal point mm-hmm. of their broadcast. He's the star. You could tell that based on the opening package. If they had any idea, they thought for a second that he wouldn't play, they wouldn't have used him as the opening right. package. They wouldn't have rolled that or thing. They, or, no, they, or they would have had a Daryl Mack highlight package ready. Right, or they could have yeah. said, hey, we have a developing situation. And this is one of the things. As I've done stats and spotting, a lot of sometimes in a lot of these college games, or games, what about 20 minutes, 30 minutes before the game, a lot sometimes people will come into the booth and say, hey, this guy's a late scratch, or hey, this guy, or this, or this. Sometimes one of my jobs is, and this is where the spotter, I, I, whoever the spotter was, might have gotten yelled at. <laughs> Sometimes you have to look pregame and these warm-ups and say, yo, so-and-so is not here. I'll give you a full disclosure. I worked the spot stat for the Alabama-Louisville game. The We were all told, okay, let us know when Jalen Hurts is in. Let us know when two is in. That was the main focus there. Mm-hmm. Now, I think because nobody knew about this, nobody could tell. But if somebody would have tipped them, hey, Milton may not play, then they would have been following that a lot closer. So, yeah, they were blindsided. They were absolutely blindsided. And knowing the people there, they probably were not thrilled about the lack of info on that. But in defense of UCF, I don't think anybody knew except Josh Heupel. I don't think Josh Heupel told the media relations people what he was going to do. Uh, from In fact, on the broadcast, they said that the radio crew didn't know. Uh, Mark Daniels said on the radio show he didn't know until Mac came on the field. I think everybody just assumed, hey, Milton is going to play. And right. so that's, I think I think Josh Heupel was literally the only guy that knew in his mind, I'm going to play Mac. And I'm not sure if Mac even knew uh, 100%. I mean, you prepare, you practice, but you don't know yeah. for sure until well, you get the call. You would think that he would he would give Daryl Mack like, hey, listen, like a little extra, a little extra during the listen, Daryl, be ready. You know what I mean? Right, but well, he, but, did, he did yeah. say I think during the week he told Daryl that there's a chance that right. I think he made Daryl aware of this during the week that there's a chance you you should you could start so prepare. Yeah, um, okay. He he told him that, gotcha. but that's different than saying you're going to start. Right, right. Which, which I don't. Which, yeah. There's a difference between saying, players, "Hey, be ready," and "Hey, guess what? You're starting." Which he and the which Heupel and and at least the defensive players and players like and even Mac himself said that he didn't know until you know, but like right after warmups, so 30 minutes prior. I don't know if that's true, but that's what that's what they're going with. I will say that you know you're right. I think the radio broadcast crew was caught off guard. Me and Gary Paris were talking about Mackenzie Milton. Uh, prior to the game as well, and and talk about you know what do you expect uh, from him, and will we see him? Will 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 he you know, come in as a reserve? Um, so they 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 didn't know either. I also I think that's unfortunate, Jeff, and this is kind of what I allude to because I'm sure this happened to your phone as well. My phone exploded. Oh yeah, <laughs> exploded. I had my na- I had my neighbors calling me, being like, "Why isn't Mackenzie oh, yeah. starting?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had people that like normally wouldn't even hit me up about football. I had, like hit me up directly. What's going on? Did he get? <laughs> 
And this is what's unfortunate. My neighbor I mean, Thomas across down the street, he's like, what's going on? <laughs> we're right. freaking out. I'm well, like, not to think. People were asking, did he get in trouble? Is he suspended? Is right, he being right, right. disciplined? People were thinking the worst things yeah. because nobody knew. And that's the thing that it's unfortunate is because of all the secretive, you almost make the kid look bad initially. Now they explained yeah. it later that he was banged up. But that's to me was the thing that was disappointing to me. Yeah. This makes him look bad initially because pe- that's where people are going to. There was no indication that he was banged up or hurt. So the next thing people think of when you see a situation like this, oh, he must did he get suspended? Is he disciplined? What happened? That's right. what people well, and that's the unfortunate thing about that. I, I didn't get that indication as much. I, and and Heupel said at halftime it was just a game to, game time decision. We didn't feel he was ready, which is a very euphemistic way of saying it, obviously. But but not to take away from Daryl Mack, um, who performed after that really rough start. Um, yeah. performed really admirably. That second quarter, UCF put up 20 points. He finished the game 12 of 20 for only 69 yards and was sacked three times. But running the ball, he was a real force. He uh, he ran 22 times for 120 yards and a touchdown. Had another touchdown called back late. Uh, it would have been, been a school record, 87-yard touchdown. Got called back on a holding penalty on Cam Stewart. Um, otherwise, he would have been, I guess, over – well, maybe pretty close to 200 yards. But um, uh, real quick about Daryl Mack, though, uh, Brian. I mean, he he performed pretty well. He settled in in the second quarter. He was really nervous, you could say. You could see right off the bat. Um, and, you know, UCF had some really, really shaky possessions in the first quarter. ECU took that 3 nothing lead. But the defense did their job. And, you know, they got the field goal on that 17-play that drive that went into the second quarter where they got that field goal, I think that was huge because they they settled him down. He worked the play clock. They got into field goal range. He got to put some points on the board. They got another field goal in the second quarter, and then, boom, the Killens touchdown pass from Kadri Jones on the trick play. That was huge. Obviously, Mac you know, doesn't get credit for the touchdown pass. Kadri Jones does, but... Um, but then, you know, Mac, I thought that that last drive, the 10 play 52 yard one to put them up 20 to three. And I was like, okay, this, this now, now it's, now it's humming. Um, now you're definitely, now you're definitely not seeing Melvin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At that point you're like, okay, okay, this we're fine now. Don't worry about it. Well, let's give credit. We did a season preview podcast on the season and Luke, our boy, Luke Saris brought up. What if Mackenzie Milton were to get hurt this year? How many wins, how many games can this team win without? Mackenzie Milton. Um, and we brought it up because of the backup quarterback. People were questioning the backup. And Luke brought it up. He thought they could win. I'm not gonna I think he said maybe seven, eight wins. If they were if like if Milton was out for the year, how many wins they would they get? And I think he was caught optimistic. He felt they could win seven or eight games. And I think you saw why. Because Mac brings a, a dimension there with the running game and they can run the ball in their defense. And by the way, East Carolina's awful. Which, by the way, I mean I get all every coach is paranoid, so they would do the same exact thing that Josh Heupel did. Just announced that he was starting. You were still going to beat East Carolina. There were you could have you could have started a well, walk on at quarter. I mean, Brian, I mean, I mean, Jeff could have started at quarterback and he would have beaten East Carolina. Yeah, so, but then I mean, but then <laughs> but then you're like but then but then you're giving them the bulletin board material, right? Like, hey, look well, at I that. Mean, you announced it forty. No, just announced it an hour before the game. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. That's college yeah. football. And I do it, think that Vegas once as we get more states legalized gambling I think this is going to come to an end sooner than later don't you guys think I, that I don't though? know you're going to have to get around HIPAA laws about that yeah because you're dealing with public universities no but you still can put out hey so and so is questionable 
Right, but you don't. But you don't have to say the guy is out. But you yes, you have but you're to come disclosing out with that they are injured in some way. That's the thing, you know. So I, I, anyway, well, and you can't I, do I that. And you can't to... do that without the student athlete's consent. That's the thing. So you're getting into some real stay, legal I, stuff I, here. Well, but here's the problem. I think the NCAA is going to make make that an issue because if not, now you're running yourself into point shaving accusations and things and, and things on the underground that they don't want. So I think we're we're headed for a, a collision on that. But that's all there. Uh, topic for another day uh, on that. I, I I think Mac was fine. Uh, I think he was nervous early, honestly. And I know people are going to think this is insane. I think UCF can win the remainder of their games except for South Florida in the conference championship game without Mackenzie Miller. Hmm. All right, I agree with that. Let's write down. Let's that. let's send that to freezing cold takes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree with that as well. All right, so we put the uh, the ECU game to bed. Um, and by the way, oh, I did want to you know mention we we would be remiss if we didn't talk about like that key moment too, where um, you know ECU was driving late in the or excuse me early fourth quarter, and Nate Evans, man, they they forced the fumble on that botched jump pass by Holton Aylers, and Nate Evans picks up the ball, runs it back ninety four yards for a touchdown. And that 14-point swing pretty much sealed the deal. Um, Greg McRae had that long touchdown run later, but that get you know that that game could have easily gotten really squirrely there if ECU scored to make it 23-17 as it was. It was 30 to 10, Brian, and that was that was pretty much it. Um, you know, it, what was the feeling after that? I mean, it it, it felt like that was when when Nate. Picked up that ball and ran it back. I felt like, all right, this thing's this thing's in hand right now. Yeah, it was a, that was a backbreaker. Yeah, I mean, it was an obvious like, okay, yeah, this game is now over. And then it was definitely over when Greg McRae ripped off his long touchdown run. And then it would have been more over <laughs> if they had held up the long touchdown run by uh, Daryl Mack that got called back. So yeah, I mean, there was that took everything was, out of uh, the sale. It was it was impressive to see them, you know. And and believe it or not, of all people, Colin Sherwin from um, our fellow SB Nation blog that covers USF, the Daily Stampede, reached out to me. He's like, he's like, he's like, you know what the difference between between us and you is this year? I said, I said what? He says you guys just step on people's throats. Yeah. And he's absolutely right about that. And I think that's probably the most encouraging thing to see. So all right, so that so that wraps up the ECU game. So by week, UCF's next game Thursday, November the first, against Temple. Um, at home, UCF, by the way, does not leave the state of Florida the rest of the regular season. And uh, in addition to that, we, you know, if Mackenzie Milton plays against Temple, and I say if because we just don't know, at least at this point, um, based on the track record that we've seen. Um, all I can say is, all I can say is, according to Heupel, he did not take first team reps today which would be wednesday in, in wednesday's practice right they will apparently practice later this week at a indeterminate date that we we, we don't know of we undetermined day that we don't know about we do not know if mckenzie milton will actually be in those practices uh later this week or next week and we also don't know if he will play that right. was all right. said by by josh heibel today so so we don't know anything we just see yeah, yeah we're we just, know nothing yeah, we know we, we know nothing we're like sergeant <laughs> schultz out here um, the, the, but if let's say he does play against Temple, he will have gone, Mackenzie Milton will have gone 19 days between games, which is, 
let's hope a sufficient amount of time to heal up all the various you know bangs and bruises that he's been that he's been dealing with. But in the meantime, while UCF is trying to heal itself after what has been a pretty pretty physical last couple of games, um, Danny White was in the news regarding football. Now uh, this stems back from College Game Day, uh, where Kirk Herbstreit kind of went off the rails a little bit. Um, now he wasn't the only one, which Eric Lopez will get to a little bit and get to in a little bit. But um, Herbstreit was basically basically decided to say that you know there are a couple of other non-power conference teams that are probably, in his opinion, more deserving than UCF, and he specifically named. I think was it Utah State, Appalachian State, Fresno State, Fresno, Fresno State. State. Yeah, um, yeah. Three. No disrespect to those teams, obviously, but let's get real here for a second, okay? Twenty wins in a row, and I know that last year doesn't count. Yeah, you better get used to that because that's I, where you're going to start hearing starting. Next I know. Week. Yeah, it's unfortunate that UCF kind of has to do two seasons of work where everyone else has to do maybe one, but. It, it, the arguments again kept popping up, you know, in the reaction to that afterwards. And Danny White actually wrote a note to the folks at College Game Day, basically saying, um, and I'll pull up Danny note, Danny White's note here, and kind of read an excerpt from it. But um, that that we know the system is broken, and we're asking you guys to kind of help us uh, fix it a little bit here. Now, College Game Day is coming to. Jacksonville for the cocktail party this week, and there's a bunch of uh, reportedly a bunch of UCF people who might be heading that way. Uh, here's Danny. Here's some of Danny White's letter. He said, "I heard that on Saturday you debated UCF's now 20 game win streak and said, quote, this shouldn't be all about UCF end quote when talking about playoff eligibility. I couldn't agree more. College football is the only sport in America that is not settled on the field. We need to fix that, etc., etc., etc." Here's how he finishes. No one likes having their accomplishments disrespected. UCF fans are knowledgeable and passionate. This is Danny White's uh, letter to the college game day crew. UCF fans are knowledgeable and passionate. We know that. And I applaud them for using social media to have their voices heard. Oh, boy, do they do that. Um, The American Athletic Conference partners with ESPN. As such, we hope to work with you as partners to fix a broken model. Will you join us? Sincerely, Danny White. Um... What do we make of this? What is Danny White saying? I guess we're not getting game day on November 17th like <laughs> I hoped. That's I, what that means. <laughs> is, he, is he saying, hey, is he saying, hey, look, we have we have some folks on Twitter who are kind of a little crazy, but don't 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 let them stop you because, from coming here to get from coming here. <laughs> I, I actually here's here's the thing. And, and, you know, Herb Street's getting beat up and I get it. Uh, and I think Kurt. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. He probably. What do you think? Uh, give me an estimate. How many Twitter mentions you think I he gets? Don't care. On a cons- I, d- I a just. Lot. I just a don't lot. care. Listen, Kirk Herbstreet is the lead analyst for ESPN College no, no. Football. He's agreed. Agreed. Don't don't take thing. that. Don't take that podium unless you're well, me, you're okay me, with tomatoes me, getting through. But let me play. Let me let me let me just say this. Let me play devil's. Ad. Is he wrong about Fresno State? Is he wrong about Appalachian State? Because if you look at some of the computer rankings that people love so much, like yourself, they have Fresno State ahead of UCF. Some of them have Appalachian State ahead of UCF. That was the point he was making. My bigger issue with the segment because I actually watched the segment live. And when I watched it live, I knew that people were going to make this a bigger deal than it was. 
I have a bigger problem with what Desmond Howard said, and I'm surprised that Desmond that is Howard got, yeah. got off the hook on this. I think Herb Street's getting way too much uh, of a of a of a bad rap in this because you may not agree with Kurt said about Fresno and that, but that's an opinion. And guess what? That's how this sport is. And just like you think UCF could play with Texas and Clemson, other people might think that Fresno can play with UCF. What's the difference in the conversation? No, we don't know because they don't play. But I have a bigger problem with Desmond Howard said when his information is inaccurate. When Desmond Howard said, well, UCF needs to play some of those mid-power five schools. Well, Desmond that no. Yeah, that, that well, was uh, – that. now me, I, I saw that and I was like, what the hell is he talking about? That, I mean, that that's – it, did, that's did not he, doing your research. That's right. not doing your research. That's to me where I think fans should be outraged more than what Kurt and, Herbstreit said. Just and this gets Kurt, and this gets echoed by other fans of other schools on Twitter as well, where they say, "Well, why don't you go schedule somebody?" I'm like, "We have. Right. <laughs> why don't you join a better conference?" Oh, as though really we forgot. Where's the application where you can join the ACC? Well, the, well, is, is that is that buried in someone's right. desk somewhere? Like I didn't know that you could just snap your fingers like Thanos and you can actually do it. The problem is nobody in the, the and, and I'll give credit where credit is due. I'm going to shut Mark Daniels, who's obviously the voice of UCF, uh, does the radio show weekdays, which I think we're all fans of the radio show, right? I mean, we've I've listened to it for many years. And yeah, huge have, fans of the beat of sports. And and by the way, I no. wanted to I want to yeah. personally thank Mark on this show for turning his show into a little podcast where they actually do I think two or three segments and they post them as podcasts, which I subscribe to immediately. But anyway. No, right, right, right. But he had a great segment, and it's on his podcast site on the iHeart, and I recommend people tune into it. And I think the headline is something to where uh, the hate is real in college football. And he talked about how everybody now argues with anger. It used to be in college football, people would just, you know, poke fun at it, right? Oh, this is, you know, your team's thing, you know, we'll beat your team, this and that. But now it's anger, and he actually told the story where – I think his uh, his wife was in a Marcus marketplace, and a you know a guy, a fan of another team. He didn't mention what it was, was berating her about, "Oh, UCF shouldn't doesn't belong, doesn't this and that." And I'm like, "What are you?" And, you know, and he's like, "Hello, like get a grip." Yeah. And I think the problem has gone now. These fan bases, on UCF standpoint, as well as other fans, don't have a grip on anything. And I think that's my point where I was alluding to. Like, yes, Kurt Herbstreit should take some criticism and, and should be thick-skinned about it. But I also think there's some things that go over the line on social media that are said that, quite frankly, does not help yeah. the conversation. And quite frankly, I don't think helps the image of the University of, U- of UCF or the program or the fan base. Yeah. I think we have a lot of fans that are great. But I think there's a percentage of the fans that are, are, are being jackasses, to, to pardon my language if you want to go with that, that I don't think make the, does not help the situation. And I think that's where we're at. And it's the same thing with other fans as well. And I think yeah. Mark wrote a, a, did a great segment on that. Uh, you can look it up on the Beat of Sports uh, site there. On, I'll, I'll on link the to there. it in the notes on the show too, by the way. So, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure it's I link a, to that. It's yeah. a fantastic thing about the, how now everybody's just angry. And he compared it to politics, that everybody just talks in anger. No one is trying to find a solution to help things they're just in it for, well, no, well, my team is this, and my team is that, and your team's th- – you know, everybody's overrated. If you ask any fan base, no one has played anybody, no one has beaten anybody, you're overrated. doesn't matter who it is, right? 
Oh, well, your team's overrated. Who's Notre Dame beating? They haven't beaten it. Oh, who's Alabama beating? Well, who's UCF beating? That's the common dialogue that's going on, and I don't think it's productive. And I, I, I to me, unfortunately, I don't think anything's going to change until people start thinking, well, what's maybe in the best interest of the sport, not what's in the best interest for me or my team? Until that changes, nothing's going to change. Three things on that. Number one, um, the uh, tribalism is a hell of a drug. All right. We've established that. Uh, we're in the age of tribalism now, at, you know, and in group, out group. And I mean, we're just we're just going to be mired in it for a while. I don't know what the solution is to that. Um, number two. I do believe that we are approaching or maybe have even already passed the point of diminishing returns with social with UCF's social media presence, not UCF as an institution, but the fan base in general, Um, because, you know, I get when people vehemently disagree with opinions about UCF and I am all for people calling out inaccuracies by anybody. Writers, television analysts, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, um, other fans. That's fine. You want to correct the record. Fine. You, you know, you want to say you want to say people will join, a, you know, join a better conference, oh, you, which is a stupid argument to begin with. Um, or, you know, play a better schedule. Oh, as though UCF can schedule on the fly. Again, a stupid argument. I'm OK with calling that out because I think that stupid should be called out constantly. OK, uh, it's the only way to eradicate it. But I think there's ways to do it without being obnoxious well, and yeah, well, you're a dumbass, you know. Well, this well, or that. No, you can point things out factually without being offensive yeah. and being, you know, disrespectful. I I agree, and and that's where it goes to it. Like it's one thing to say, it's one thing to say, you know, hey, you know, hey, Herbie, you know, that's you know completely and totally ridiculous what you're saying. Here's the actual facts. It's another okay. thing to get really personal with media members because. I don't know where we came. I don't know where we came up with the idea that it was okay for, you know, for where where media where you know some guy who's a writer for like the I'm making something up like the Knoxville Herald who has an well, AP just, vote they, who put UCF at, who put UCF at eleven, uh, you know, where where it's justified for people to, you know, uh, to 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 say some of the things and do some of the things on social media that say that, you know, that it's okay. I mean, I, I get, I like the fact that UCF punches up. I've always liked the fact that UCF punches up. I, I, I like, I I want us to be that university that makes, or that program that makes the noise and says, Hey, we are just as good as you guys are. And you know, it stop saying we're not, but yeah, but there's but a Boise way State did the same to do thing it. Eight years, there's, right? There, Boise State did. The, I wrote. I, you could Google Boise State eight years ago. The same conversation was being had. Um, and again, and by the way, the, the 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 segment is called "The College Football Hate Is Unique." It's from October twenty second. Yeah. If you go to the Beta Sports, go to iHeart.com, wherever it podcast. Phenomenal segment. I just think that we have gotten to. For example, like I can bring up, for example, like Brian Murph is a diehard baseball guy. Jeff, mm-hmm. you you've gone on record. You think baseball's dead now. Murph might think you're crazy. I don't you think. Ba- stop it! No, don't put words in my mouth. I don't think. <laughs> right. I don't think well, baseball's let's just go dead. I think, it's a, very, I think it's a regional sport. I think that. Well, let's just I go. Agree. Let's just I go agree hypothetical. with that. All right, but, well, let's, let's just go hypothetical. Let's hypothetical. say you know, 
hypothetical, Jeff, you think the sport's dying because blah, 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 and Mark might disagree. You're going to have a very – you guys will have a very nice disagree uh, conversation about it. You're not going to be vulgar to each other. You're not going to uh, F each other and say, well, you know, let, you know, call family members involved. It's ridiculous. Uh, only in college football do the worst of people come out. Like this doesn't happen in the NFL. Like we've joked about how bad your Giants are, and you guys can poke fun at my Dolphins and how bad they are. We can – all that. But we're not – you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's like sports. It's whatever. But in college football – if we said the same thing, people would be offended and yeah. think it's personal. And I'm going to say this for the millionth time. ESPN does not have a conspiracy against UCF. They don't. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. You're being stupid. Like, get out of here. ESPN's, ESPN's got bigger comments. fish to fry than, okay, than me, UCF. Like, yeah, namely, okay. what are they going to do with those Fox Sports regional networks, right? I mean, they have to sell them off well, by no, law. I mean, so. just, be, just because commentators you see on TV disagree with what you think your team is doesn't mean that there's a bias towards the network. There is a national college football commentator that compared UCF's resume to North Dakota State based on Jeff Sagarin's ratings. He does not work for ESPN. That's Joe Klatt of Fox Sports, who I like. He's been actually worse on UCF than Kurt Herbstreit. He said worse things than Kurt Herbstreit. What agenda does he have? There well, that, are doesn't people- mean, that, that doesn't mean that people who listen to this podcast can go out and attack Joe Klatt. You know, right. be, please be and, please be civil. And the other and the other Correct. thing is Joe Klatt's audience is a hell of a lot less than any audience than he would have if he was working. But for he's the a mother national team. college football. But the right. point is, but but, but is, you know, but you know what lot. I mean though. There's you know, ESPN is is the sure. 800 pound gorilla. It is. But here's my point is not everybody's not going to drink the UCF Kool-Aid. There are people that don't believe UCF belongs. There are people that don't believe that UCF should be in the conversation for a variety of reasons, whether it be the schedule strength, whether it be because they're not in a power conference. That doesn't mean there's a conspiracy or an agenda. There, It just is. That's how people think. It's no different than it's unfortunately like politics. Polit- some people are red states. Some people are blue states. That's kind of how college football is. The South is all about pro-SEC. I guarantee if you go to Alabama, they think that everybody in the Big 12 can't play football or in the Big 10. And if you go up to the Midwest, they would tell you that the SEC is overrated. That's how this sport is. It's always how it's been, and it hasn't going to change anytime soon unless people start kind of reuniting. That's what I liked about what Bob Bowlesby of the Big 12 said about, hey, if Notre Dame goes undefeated and doesn't make the playoff, or if UCF goes undefeated and doesn't make the playoff, that could raise some eyebrows and get some people to talk. Uh, and that's a commissioner that knows that his Big 12 is probably going to get hosed again of not making the playoffs. You need to find allies. If you want to change the system, calling someone out like uh, by F word and all that, it's not going to change the system. What's going to change the system is joining other people that have the same gripe with the system that you have, even if it's from a different point of view, and come together. And then you might get some changes. I, th- I think that's partially – and to start, sort of tie it up, and then we'll take a break. I think that's kind of what Danny White was alluding to with his letter, where he was saying to ESPN, you know, hey, look, let's be honest. You guys know the system's not 100% on, you know, on the level in terms of the other 65 teams that are in FBS. And we have a bunch of other schools that are in the same position, by the way, in our conference – whom you guys have a television contract. So like he said at the end of the letter, let's work together to try and solve that problem. And I think if you if you say let's improve what we have instead of demeaning it, I think you have a much better positive reaction 
and feedback instead of, oh, this thing stinks and you guys know it. Because let's guess what? What happens now is, and I saw this on Tuesday night, there are ESPN commentators who do vividly disagree with that and say, no, the system's not broken. So you don't accomplish a lot by doing that. What you say is, look, we, this is how we think the system can get better. I think one of the most idiotic co- uh, comments that college foot people that defend this system, and I'm not even talking about this system, because actually, as much as people don't like this 14 thing, it's way better than what we've had. And this argument about, well, it takes so, and you made this, and I agreed with your point on Twitter. You mentioned this. You were arguing with someone else. This idiotic idea that because you expand the playoff that the regular season somehow is meaningless, more or less yeah, that meaningful. Was, yeah, that was Noah Pransky, who, by the way, who used to used to work at the same TV station that I did. We didn't work at the same time, but but he's a sports reporter who covered Georgia and Clemson. And the way I know that is because I used to sit in his same exact chair. And that is one of the dumbest arguments I think I've ever heard in my life. And the reason why it's dumb is because we have a test case against it. And that test well, case is the expansion of the playoff to two to from basically a two team playoff to a fourteen playoff. Well, not only that, like this idea that the, I mean, every game doesn't matter. Guess what? Alabama dropped the game last year. They still made the playoffs. Nineteen eighty nine. I'll go back to nineteen eighty nine. Florida State beat the crap out of Miami and Tallahassee by two touchdowns. You want to know who won the national title that year? It was Miami. Florida State had two losses early in the year in the first two weeks of the season. So we punished the team because they started the year 0-2. Can you imagine if we did that in the NFL? The New England Patriots would never win anything because they would always be eliminated in September. Well, Chaz Short uh, actually brought up the good point. He says, right now, the regular season doesn't matter for any of the non-AQ conferences based on what the based on what they're saying because there's no functional way for them to get to the playoffs. oh but this depends on your wait here's the thing yes from a playoff standpoint i agree with that statement uh but again we've known this for a long time this is nothing new anybody that if you were naive to think that a group of five team is going to make a playoff uh you're crazy unless you had an extraordinary schedule and extraordinary things would happen uh i wouldn't which i would never rule out yeah, we've it's not going to happen. This we've year. seen stranger things. Not this year. Um, no, 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 no. See, this is where you get into trouble because you can't predict the future. No, no, it's because I'm accurate. I'm being honest. It's not going to happen. You they don't have the resume, Jeff. They don't. You can't. They look, don't have the it, resume to knock door out. They don't. If they, and you're going to start hearing that next week. No, listen. Number one, you got to go undefeated, and number two, you need a bunch of dominoes in front of you to fall. Now, which is it doesn't matter if it does. It's not going to. You don't. No, no, no. You can't say that definitively. You're right. trying to predict the future. You don't know what the future is. I predicted based on how the sport has been run over decades. If this is nothing new, nothing new. Boise State did this twice last decade. I remember if you if, if the not in the playoff era though. Not in the playoff doesn't era. Matter. Same thing. It sure matters. It logic. sure does matter. No, it doesn't. it doesn't matter because Boise State went undefeated, and it didn't matter. They gave it to Florida, even though Florida lost to a very average to Ole Miss team at home, and they still played for the national title. It's always been like this. Oklahoma got to the national title game, even though they lost to Texas in their own freaking division. This is nothing new. Alabama played for the nat- won a national title over LSU, even though they lost to LSU and didn't win their own division that year, and they got in over Oklahoma State. This is nothing new. Right, but again, Penn those, State are, got those are that's the that's the BCS era, man. That's a different era. Yeah, it's the, but it's the same philosophy. It's the same concept in four. It's not. There's no it's price. not because yes, sure it no, 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 it's no, 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 it's not. It's not. It's not. Here's why. Sure it is. No, it's not. 
because the way the teams are ranked is different. The teams are ranked in in the college football playoff. The the teams are ranked by a committee of people. There's no computer rankings. There's no joining together of the coaches in the AP poll like there was in the old BCS rankings. Come on. You no, realize, no, 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 no. You on. can't come on me. That's that's a fact. Yes, because the vote. Guess who? The, what do you think? The committees aren't influenced by the polls. You don't I'm think they're influenced by the polls? I'm not, I, if no, actually, I don't think they're as influenced I by just, the polls oh, as you I think. Disagree. Because look at where UCF was last year in the CFP poll compared to where they were in the AP and the coaches. A couple of spots just to make it look different. By the way, if you had the BCS last year, they would have picked the exact, the same exact four teams. But we don't. But but that my point is it's not that different. It's not that different. It's not it's not like then oh, why are well, they, they, if it's not that different, then why are they selling it like it is? Because they want because people got tired of the computers. They don't, don't people don't people don't like computers deciding things. They want that's, they want no that's to you know, that, 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 come on that's you need a better reason than that. I'm sorry. I'm the, just you, telling you what it is. I'm it, just telling you what it is. The, I was if not, that's the if that's the case if that's then don't sell it like that. Okay, if you're the CFP committee, if you're the CFP committee and you're standing there and you're trying to defend your own, if you're in the CFP committee and you're standing there trying to defend your own legitimacy as they are right now, you know, which then it is entirely incumbent upon you to make the decision that the bulk of the college football world thinks is right. And there's a sizable amount of people in the college football world who, if UCF goes undefeated and you have. And you have a bunch of and you have a bunch of dominoes fall in front of them. Those people are going to say, you know something, we should give this UCF team a shot. They've gone two seasons without losing a game. There's a a percentage. Doesn't mean it's the. Doesn't mean first of all, it doesn't mean it's the majority. And second of all, doesn't mean that that doesn't mean it's not the majority either. By the way, there. By the way, it doesn't mean it's not the majority either because you know why? There's sixty. There's 130 teams in FBS. Sixty-five of them are in the supposed Power Five conferences. The other sixty-five are not. They're stuck in college football limbo. UCF is taking up the battle flag of that other half of FBS football. And rightfully so. I don't really think UCF defending everybody else. I don't think UCF be defending. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. That's that's this is bigger than this. This whole thing that UCF is fighting for. That's why it's so important. Is that it is bigger than UCF? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, no. Yes. You're acting like UCF's the first team to complain. No, Boise State's complained. No, no, no. Com- no. I'm not acting like UCF is the first team to complain, but they are the first team who can actually who's actually proving that this system is flawed and wrong and needs to be replaced. I don't think you you need UCF to prove that though. That's already been proven. Be based on the so fact change that- the system. Yes, change it to eight teams and put criteria until you put criteria into your system. You're not changing anything because everything is based on opinion, otherwise, or subjective opinions. You're never going to please everybody, no matter what they do, whatever they do. So you agree with me. If they don't put UCF in, they're going to be people that say the little guy's getting left out. If they put UCF in, people are going to say, well, Jesus, they're not one of the four best teams. What are you guys doing? So no matter what they do, no matter what that committee does, nobody will be completely happy. So it doesn't matter. They could rank UCF next week number eight, and there will be still people that are upset. It doesn't matter. I get that, but what I'm talking about is what happens at the end of the season. Okay, they can stop, is, they can so, answer they can answer a lot of the big questions if UCF goes so under. If you, listen, what, hold on a second, yeah. they can answer a lot of big questions 
if they let UCF into the playoff as an undefeated UCF, if they put them in as the four seed and they and then put them up against one seed Alabama. Let's see how it if shakes they out. Believe UCF, if and they and believe if UCF gets beat sixty, teams. and if UCF gets beat sixty-five to nothing, then you know what? Hey, yeah. we had our shot, right? They were better than us. We're not on the same playing field as us. That's but that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing about sports at every level. Is everyone just wants a shot? We've seen it with so many guys who play at the NFL level. They always say the same thing. All I want is a shot to prove myself. I agree 100%. I've been anti-college football from November to January for 20-thumb-plus years. My point is, this ain't the system for that. See, people have this idea. Then why is it being whole... sold that it is? What do you mean? I don't think Why is it being sold... sold that this is the definitive college football championship? Because that's what the sport has always done. I mean, you, do you not, think the national the, the title is more than what years you're doing? Ago? Then, then that's the root of it. They're selling one thing and they're doing another, and that's why UCF people are pissed, and they have every right to be. Okay, but that's college football. Welcome to college that's, football. This come on, college football has always been. Be like, Richard well, Nixon. Look it up. Richard Nixon in 1969. Richard Nixon doesn't matter. That was 40 years. No, Richard Nixon no, is no, dead. No, 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 no. Hold on. Missing the point here. Richard Nixon in 1969 Richard influenced Nixon Texas to win the state. The point is, the sport has always had based on biasness. This is nothing new. UCF's not the newest victim. They're not going to be the last victim. Okay, this is the sport. And until you don't want to know how you change the system, you join some allies, and you know what you do? Boycott bowl games. Don't watch them. Don't go to them. Don't come to me in December and tell me go to the bowl game because you're in. You're feeding into the system. Get rid so, of it. So, if you don't want so what you're sa- okay. So then, what you're saying is, and we'll take a break after this. But what, yeah. but what you're saying is, all right. So let's let's do this. Let's say let's give. Let me give you a hypothetical then, and we'll finish up and take a break, and we'll get to Todd Dagenet in a second. But all right, let's say UCF goes undefeated, wins the American, twelve and zero, beats Houston in the championship game. They don't get. Uh, and let's say the college football committee puts in undefeated Alabama, two one loss teams and a two loss team. Yep. Say two lost Georgia or something like that. Correct. All right. That's a, yep. And the CFP committee does not put in UCF as a, as one of the four teams. What you're saying then is, if UCF wants to make a statement, they should boycott a New Year's Six bowl game. I don't think it's just UCF. I think it's everybody that has an issue with the the system. Okay, but 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 based on that hypothetical, is that what you would do if you were Danny White? Is that what you would do? Well, the problem is, I'm sure what they will that they will not because there are financial. This is the problem. There's a check that you get for playing in that bowl game. That's very important. So you're not going to do it based on that. But I would I do it absolutely if I felt strongly enough that my team got screwed or that I think the system's flawed. Yeah, I would make a statement that way. Just like by the way, these college football players are slowly starting to do by skipping bowl games. All right. I think I got a column idea now. All right. Um, hey, Murph. <laughs> let's take Murph. Are you still there? Yeah, guys, baseball game has been great. <laughs> this baseball game is so good. <laughs> let's take, let's take a break. When we return, uh, Murph will again disappear uh, to, as we talk to Todd Dagenet from UCF volleyball uh, with his <laughs> mat team Thanks, on a fifteen Murph. match spring, fifteen match winning streak, and we'll wrap up the other. Uh, Olympic sports as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. 
The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, if you work with Sam to sell your home, he will list it for just 4.8% commission. And if you're buying a home with him, he will rebate you up to $750 at closing. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, Upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash we sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com is where you want to be. UCF underscore Banneret is our Twitter handle. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, let's dive in with UCF Volleyball. You know I've been talking about it for a while now, but... Uh, well, we saw some history this week for uh, for the Knights as they entered the AVCA, the American Volleyball Coaches Association, coaches top 25 for the first time in school history, which was actually surprising to me. I thought that we would that we were ranked in the top 25 in UCF past at some point, but um, but yeah, 25th in the uh, in the most recent poll, first time UCF is ranked in program history, coming off of a huge win. At Cincinnati over Jordan Thompson and the Bearcats in five sets, where UCF really looked impressive in the fifth and a very hard fought match. And joining us now, head coach Todd Dagenet. Coach, congrats on another successful weekend and congrats on the first ranking in program history. Another milestone for your team this year. Well, hey, fellas, thanks for having me on. And, you know, it, it's been a special year so far. And, um, you know, we break our season up into three segments. We have our preseason um, where we went off. We played a lot of non-conference and then we play a first half of our conference season. And now we, we flip to the back nine, so to speak. And now we've got nine more matches left to finish up the conference season. But I sure like where we stand right now. 
Well, I, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't right now. You're 9-0 after that first nine in the, in the American, 18-3 uh, and three overall. You know, you know we, you and I talked before the season started, um, and you were really excited about the talent that you had. But you're saying, you know, we are going to be, we're going to run into some trouble here and there. We're trying to sort of calibrate the team to adjust to the number of young faces that we have out there. Well, I don't, so you, whatever you guys have been doing, it's been working because this team, you know, 18 of 21, 15 in a row. Um, how has how has this all come together so well for you and the squad so far? I I wish I could give you a great answer to that, Jeff. I, it, because if you look at us, we're not the most athletic team. Um, we're not the most experienced team. Um, we're not the most skilled team. Um, we're young. Uh, we we still have a lot of experience to gain. Um, we're good athletes, but we're not, um, you know, freakish national team level athletes like some of the teams that we play, even in conference. Um, I think what this really is is there's an intangible that we don't often talk about in sports, and that is just cohesion. And I don't care if it's a male sport, a female sport. I don't care if it's college or professional. I think there's something very powerful about playing for something bigger than you. And in our case, our team plays for each other. They play for the woman next to them. They don't want to let them down. Um, They give their very best every opportunity they have, even on days where it's just not there, they give what they can. And it's really been amazing to see this team come together, fight for each other, be put in adverse situations, and come out on top more often than not. If you think and you look back, the matches we lost were early on. We hadn't quite really solidified that camaraderie yet. And since then, um, we learned from that, and, and we learned from the disappointment. And those matches we lost, we, we, we had swings. Mm-hmm. We had chances. We had opportunities. And, you know, the mistakes were made, and, and there was that uh, a feeling of le- letting the team down um, by not making that shot when it was needed. And, and since then, somehow, some way, somebody stepped up when it mattered. Coach, I was impressed. I watched the Cincinnati match, I mean, which was an incredible match. I mean, showcasing the best of the league, two, I think, NCAA tournament teams. I mean, they're, they're a tremendous team themselves. And the thing that impressed me, and I've seen this this season when I've noticed when I've watched your team, you wouldn't know how young your team is, the way they really react. You know, after Cincinnati wins, the fourth set's a tight match. You know, I've seen it in volleyball. A lot of times t- teams get nerves in the fifth set. But your team was as calm. They were as poised. Uh, and they just took it to them. And I've been impressed with the poise in the, you know, with this team. Because a lot of times, as you know, Coach, being around the game, a young team can kind of can be rattled or, or, or maybe take things uh, for granted. Uh, not this team, though, it, it appears. I think that's three people. Um, I think it all starts with Jordan Pingle, our senior libero. Um, she doesn't get rattled. She's been in those matches. Um, she's been through the wars. And she is really the one who's the most vocal. It's not the coaching staff between matches or between sets. Jordan is really the one that's doing a lot of the talking. Um, And then there's this quiet confidence of Aaron Olson 
and her maturity. And I think you just look at her and you read her face and it says, I gotcha. It's good. She reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. Just, hey, we've got this. We're fine. Yeah, I know what the scoreboard says. We're fine. Don't worry about it. You dropped the pass. I got it. And she has this quiet confidence. And then the third is McKenna Melville. As a freshman, comes in. And if you look at her stats, they're good stats. I mean, she's she absolutely deserves to be the conference freshman of the year. And she deserves to be first-team all-conference. Now, rather or not she gets it, we'll have to wait and see. But what she does do is even on those nights where she's not very good, she keeps a very level playing attitude. Her volleyball IQ is through the roof. And she keeps very playing level attitude. She keeps this fun, excitement, almost childish love to play the game. I liken her more to a Brett Favre. And, you know, who's just a kid on the field loving to play a game they love to play. And the team feeds off of one of those three players at whatever critical moment we are in a match. McKenna is carefree, loose, and relaxed. Jordan is experienced and seems to come up with the right words. And Aaron is calm, confident, and goes out and just performs. You've gotten such great contributions, I thought, I think from kind of by committee with your middle. Um, Catherine Westlich has been outstanding. Narissa Moravik has also, you know, I mean, how about the job that she's done stepping in? And then the contributions you've also gotten from, uh, from Brianna Garcia, who's also been a real revelation for you. How big have they been for you? Just kind of solidifying the middle and opening up the outsides for people like Christina Fisher and McKenna Melville and Anne Marie Watson. Well, you know what? made me really concerned about our ability to be a team that had a chance to win a conference was the middle position. Um, we didn't have a Kaylee Green or a Delana Sarden, two All-Americans, in the middle. We had two first-year starters, one of which has backed up the players for a couple of years, and the other, who just stepped off a high school court and was supposed to redshirt this year. And you need to have quality middles to win matches. And they've really grown into the position. They know who they are. They know what they're capable of. The setters know where and when to use them. Um, sometimes we get them involved more often than others. Um, but they do their job. They get out there and they touch, deflect, block balls for points. And they're really the unsung hero of this entire engine, um, the two of them. Um, we didn't even know that either one of them were going to start this year. Um, you know, we, we had another returning middle that's no longer with us. We had Lachey Harper, who's um, been nursing some injuries. And we didn't know that these two were going to be our middles this year. Yet they go out there and they just do their thing. And their thing seems to be good enough for us to continuously be two points better than the team on the other side of the net. Well, it really worked this past weekend against Cincinnati because you guys set uh, a school record for block assists with, I think the final tally was 41 for the match, which is 
you know, I, I mean, and we know how good we all know we've been talking about for years how good Jordan Thompson is, but that's just that that's just you know meeting her face to face at the net, and you guys well, won that uh, battle. Jordan, see, Jordan Thompson. I mean, this is Jordan Thompson is a first team All American. She's going to be on the national team. She's going to play in the Olympics someday. And Anne Marie Watson, we we specifically put Anne Marie Watson on her, mm-hmm. and Anne Marie was as steadfast as you could ever ask for. I mean, she's like that, that shut down corner, that prototypical run stopping linebacker. I mean, she did not allow Jordan Thompson to get comfortable at all during the match. Uh, Jordan would come up there and she'd hit three international level bombs. And then Anne-Marie would stick her with a block and then come back with another block or control blocker. And when I think when it was all said and done, Anne-Marie blocked her nine or 10 times. Wow. And Jordan ended up with 12 errors. And they weren't errors hitting out of bounds or into the net because she doesn't even worry about the net when she plays. She's <laughs> so far over it that the net's not even an obstacle for her. So that is really Anne-Marie getting into the face of Jordan getting into the head of Jordan and performing. And it's not something that's going to show up in the kills, but, you know, still Anne-Marie had a, a pretty good offensive day as well. Yeah. But it was Anne-Marie's ability to take the heart and soul of Cincinnati away from them, forcing other players to have to score to beat us. And they did a great job of doing it. We just were better. And when it came down to it, we were just a little bit better. And that's all that it took. What was your reaction when the polls came out and you were ranked? And you had a digit there. And I, I know you got a lot to play still, a lot of games. It doesn't matter now. You still got a lot of matches to play. But just from a standpoint of four-year program since you've come here and built this program, and as Jeff alluded to, this, pro- this, this program has never been ranked in the history of this university. It's been ranked in the top 25 in volleyball. Uh, what, what, did right. I, what, what came through your mind – from, as someone who's a historian and as you know this program's history as well as anyone, what did it? What, you what know, came to I'm, mind when it happened? I'm one of the two voters in our league for that. There's 60 voters, and I've had us ranked at 22 or 23 now for six or seven weeks, but we've been in the RPI top 15, top 16, 17, you know, 12, 10, 9, you know, for that long, and I felt like we deserved it. Um, but you have to be on two ballots to even be in the receiving votes column. And we were never receiving votes. So we weren't getting votes from the other coach in our conference that votes. Wow. So it's very difficult to get, it's very difficult to get national notoriety if you can't get in the receiving votes column. Well, finally we got in the receiving votes column and then we were able to capitalize on it. But to be honest, I'm going to be really honest with you. My first reaction, um, was um, very nonchalant. It was, okay, great. We've still got Houston, SMU, and then seven more matches. Mm. Um, But but then I I didn't make the same mistake I made in 2014. 2014, we won the championship. And I, I came to UCF to help revitalize a program that was a championship program. It was hanging banners. And we did it. And I didn't enjoy it because I expected it. I expected that that was going to happen. 
and I failed to enjoy it. That's the greatest mistake in my coaching career right there is that I did not enjoy it with the athletes. I let them enjoy it. Um, I never, I never held the championship trophy because to me, that was the first of the future. And then you start to realize it's special when you have that opportunity because you can have the best team and not win. SMU twice has done that. And, you know, this year it, it could be argued that we are not the best team, whatever that means, um, but we're in position to win it. And I'm enjoying this process so much more than I ever have in my coaching career, partially because the odds were stacked against us, partially because we're watching um, people crawl, then walk, then run, um, and partially because I think I'm more mature as a coach now. I'm just enjoying the process. So my first thought was, okay, great, we're ranked, big deal. My second thought was, no, that is really special for the athletes that we have, how they've come together, how they persevere, how they find ways to win. And then I thought about it more from a 30,000-foot view. And I'm thinking, wait, first time in program history. Now we're talking 40 years where 40 plus years where we are, you know, looking back and saying, we've accomplished something for the first time where, you know, that those women back then were always fighting to try to put the program in a position to someday have an opportunity and then seize that opportunity. And so the more I thought about it on a deeper level, the more I was excited for the program. I was excited for just like I was with a thousand wins. I was excited for UCF volleyball, where it's been, where it is, where it's going, all the people that contributed to that. That's what top 25, that's why it's so important for the first time. Isn't that something that this, that it was what last week that, um, that UCF became the, just the 24th program in NCAA history to win 1,000 matches as a program and only just now is reaching the coaches' poll uh, top yeah. 25, which is which is shows you kind of the, the remarkable history, but also the dramatic uphill climb that you've talked about since the since the program's beginning some well, some four decades it's ago. It's tough as you know when you're in Florida and you're a baseball team, you have some advantages. When you are a soccer team, you have some advantages. When you're a football team, you have some advantages. When you are an indoor sport in Florida, you have some really big disadvantages. And especially if you are not what people call one of those brand name schools. Mm -hmm. And it was an uphill climb. You're right. It, it, it took a while just to be recognized outside our own region. And then we went off and we beat Southern California. And then all of a sudden people were started looking up what the letters UCF stands for. And we became more of a national brand. And then over the course of the last several years and matches, we've become more of a national brand. So I think now you finally get UCF, on the minds of people that are outside of the area. 
Um, they don't look at us as a directional school. They look at us as a brand name university, you know, and that's, that that's thank football for that. It's football is the reason why UCF athletics on a, a big scale, you know, is really on the lips of everybody as a brand mm. and sure. Soccer has done amazing work being in a final four softball, winning their championships, what the men's soccer team is doing now, basketball with their uh, tournament runs. And sure, you know, we've always been there, but now it feels like in the 11 years I've been here, and it's hard, it's hard to believe that I go into a coach's meeting I'm, and Linda Gooch from cheer and I are the two <laughs> oldest I <laughs> in the coaching room. Um, we, we seem to have outlasted everybody. Um, I remember the day where I was the first one in the meeting introducing myself. <laughs> um, but it's just it's been so fascinating to see how we've matured as an athletic department. And I think it goes through from, you know, Keith Tribble to Admiral, Har- or Admiral Harms um, into Todd Stansberry and it kept building and building and building. And then Danny White comes in and just blows the roof off the whole thing. I mean, I worked at Disney when I was in college and people always thought, you know, Walt Disney was the one that made everything happen. No, it was his brother, Roy. Roy was the, Roy was the creative one. Walt made it happen. And, you know, Danny just goes, he, he goes out there with the swagger of, a top 25 program and you can't help but to buy into the fact that you are what he's doing is real. It's not fake. That is not a persona. That's not a, a wrestling gimmick. That's really how he feels. He firmly believes that UCF is a top 25 department in the country. And his expectation is that every single one of us as coaches are pushing to make that happen. And you know, I think a lot like our players don't want to let each other down. I think our coaches don't want to let each other down. They don't want to let Danny down. And I think the synergistic effect, you're seeing it take place lock, stock, and barrel right through the athletic department. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You guys have that not those nine matches to go, and we'll wrap up with this. Uh, five of them at home, including the season finale against USF, which is – uh, a little bit less than a month away already on November the 21st. Your four road matches are against, well, three of them are against the bottom of the conference, and then one of them is against SMU, who's under 500. So, you kind of, so I, I, you know, I hate putting it this way, jinxing wise, you know, but the meat of this last nine matches, those matches will be at home. So you've got, you know, for yeah, example, Houston, I, SMU, Cincy. Way, I, I, yeah. I, I caution you because travel in our conference is hard. Um, It's not like sports where we go, we play a match and we come back home and we go and we play a match. We come back home. We go and we're on the road for four days and, and travel is brutal and road matches in volleyball are not friendly to the visiting team. And when you see those upsets, it just happened this weekend was it Houston who was winless beat Wichita State who was picked to win the conference. Right. And that's the way it is. And so 
yeah, you can look on paper and you can say, well, that's the bottom of the conference, but I'm here to tell you the bottom of the conference is really good. And the difference, and this is just being honest, the difference between where we are at the top and whoever is at the bottom is not that much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's points, it's breaks, it's health. It's not what you would think it is. It's not like it was or has been in the past. Last year, Wichita was heads and shoulders above everybody. When we won it in 2014, we were better than everybody, just close to SMU. There is not a single team in the conference this year that's dominant. Cincinnati's the closest thing to it. Well, and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, no, I was, no, it, all I was going to say was it's just close. It's just it's not as distant as the records say it is. And that's well, not coach, coach said, No, and you, you and I have actually had that conversation a couple years ago, Coach, when the, we were trying to fight for the league to get multiple bids into the NCAA tournament. We felt it was a multiple bid league, and I remember that was the year that Cincinnati got in, um, and SMU got in, and you were you and Temple were literally swings away from maybe being in the field of of the tournament. Uh, do you think well, Temple should have been in? Yes. Yeah, they should have been in, Temple, and, and this Temple and that's my point. Been in. Is the sport of volleyball, which obviously Jeff has followed a lot longer than I have. You've been around it, but you know what it is. There, there's a lot of Big Ten, Pac-12, you know, you know, the stigma there. And you mentioned earlier about certain regions not getting the respect. I mean, people look at your resume. You've got a number nine RPI. You've played, and I've, I've emphasized this now publicly, you have a top ten schedule in the country. Um, is the sport ready to accept that it is a national sport and take that step and not be – well, it's always been this way in the sport of volleyball. I guess that's my concern because you, you're right. This league is good. And to me, we've talked about this over the years, Coach. This is a multiple bid yeah. league, really, every year if, if, if they did the homework right. I, I, I don't know that it is. It's unfortunate to say that because I still think that the powers to be, whoever they are, will start in the Pac-12 and go to the Big Ten and then go to the Big 12 and then go to the ACC. And then if there's any spots left, they fill it with other teams. And that's been proven by the fact that only two to five bids come from conferences that aren't those that we mentioned. And I think it's because our sport is not on TV, so the powers to be don't watch a lot of matches. They just depend on print on paper and make the decisions. And it's a lot easier to say, well, you know, the eighth place team in this conference is probably better because of the competition they played than the third place team in this conference. And until we are a sport that is on national TV frequently, where the ones making the decisions are watching all of the teams that are on the board, they don't. That year, Temple didn't make it. There wasn't anybody on that committee that even watched Temple play once. Yeah. They had no idea. And that's what was frustrating. And that continues to be a source of frustration. Um, it's, it's a large sport. There's 330-plus schools. It's not like some of these other sports where there's only 150 or 180 sports or teams. So is, is the country ready I don't know, but we're trying our damnedest to break down the walls. That's what I know. Well, here's here's the thing. If this keeps up... Wait, can I say that word on the uh, 
podcast. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're, we're listen. We're we're PG not. Yeah. We're PG not G. I am a hundred percent behind you. And it, softball is the same problem. I've preached about this. It's the same thing. I mean, I, I think we have great sports here, and that I've said this to people because I know a lot of people are upset about the football stuff and all that. And I've said the Olympic sports even have a bigger mountain to, to battle. And you mentioned it because of the lack of coverage. And I think a lot of people as a result, well, they don't see the game. So they just kind of vote what they've always known. And I think the Olympic sports and volleyball is a big part of that uh, has had this issue. And softball is the same way. So I'm, I appreciate you saying that because I 100 percent agree with you and back you on. That. Yeah, I think, you know, just because Penn State, Wisconsin and Illinois are awesome doesn't mean the ninth place team in that conference right. yep. is great. But that's what's happening you know just because arizona is great in softball doesn't mean the ninth place team in the pac 12 is worthy but that's what happens so we you know it's up to us we said we have to go out there and we have to beat them um the challenge we have is very similar to what football has um in that it's very difficult to get those teams to come to your place you can go to their place sure come on over come play us on our court and our fans, and our, you know, our hecklers and, you know, come beat us on our court, but uh, they'll never give you the opportunity to play on a, a neutral floor or uh, on your floor because they know they have too much riding on it. Yeah. They've, you know, they've, they've, uh, in a lot of cases, they've uh, woken up on third base and think they hit a triple and the rest of us are still in the batter's box just trying to get to first base. Well, we got a chance to sort of flip the script on all that coming up because you start this last nine-match stretch at home this weekend with Houston on Friday night and then SMU on Sunday afternoon. Um, sorry, so I'll so I'll wrap with this. I know I'm asking you to look way off in the distance right now, but any chance that your team, assuming things continue to go the way they're going, might be able to host the NCAA tournament? I think I'm going to take our team out of that. Um, I can say that any team that's RPI'd in the top 18 or 19 has a chance. Okay. So let that answer your question. All right. Um, (laughs) And the only reason I say that is I don't know if the powers to be, you know, will give a seed to somebody that's not a traditional volleyball power. Uh, and it has the track record's not so good on that. Now, do we, do we have something going for us and that we have, I think, three top 50 wins, a top 10 win? You know, we have some things going for us. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But before yeah. we even get to that point, Jeff, there's nine matches. And yeah. when it, it when it comes to our youth, when it comes to the bumps and bruises of October, um, when it comes to hitting that wall, I mean, those are all things that every team in the country is going through. We're going through it too. There's, we have a razor-thin margin when it comes to depth, um, experience. Uh, so there's just, you know, there's so much that can happen that right now we just have to get on the court against Houston and try to walk out of there. And it's, it's funny. We have fans that sit courtside. They're saying, can we make it quick tonight? You know, we really want to go out. I'm like, 
um, you'll you'll get a five game win and you'll like it, right? Because <laughs> if we're lucky enough to walk out of here with with a win, we're walking out of here with a win. I don't care how many it's in. Um, that's the way it is. Right. right now, it's a it's a battle of attrition. It's a battle of who can last the longest, who's mentally the toughest, um, and I think that this team is dedicated to making sure it's them as often as possible. Well, they've done so for 15 consecutive matches. Here's to uh, even more. Once again, Friday at 7 in the venue against Houston. That's the old arena, followed by Sunday at 1 against SMU. They also have home matches coming up a big weekend, uh, November 9th and 11th against Cincinnati and ECU. And then the the regular season wraps Wednesday, November 21st at 7 p.m., against USF. So it's five big in-conference matches left on the slate. And Jeff, I'll I'll tell you, you know, your listeners, many of which have never been to volleyball, they, they don't know what they're missing. Yeah. And uh, it's just like you watch hockey on TV and then you go and watch it in person. It's a completely different game. This is not the YMCA game, you know, the backyard barbecue. It's, this is violent. It's athletic. It's physical. It's primal. It's uh, this is not the volleyball that a lot of people think it is. And I would encourage your listeners just just do it once. Just come to one match. If you've never been to one, come to one. Because you and I both know, and Elo and everybody who's been to matches, they know. Once you come to one, you're hooked. Yeah. Because watching these fantastic athletes dive jump fly hit get hit in the head with a ball i mean it's it is it's a contact sport that's separated by a net and if if someone has never been to a game find one of these five and come and and and, uh, and see something you've never seen before it's 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 going to be a great home stretch i know and the other thing is too it's loud in that place when it gets going, and um, and we've all been there. I th- I think that it's I personally, of course, I'm a little biased, but um, I personally think that the venue is the best venue of any kind for uh, for any sport at UCF um, because of the fact that it's it's small and it's tight and it's 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 you're playing volleyball in a phone booth and it's intense and it's a lot of fun. So, Coach, I know well, we went I super. Know that- <laughs> I'm sorry, did we go long? No, I'm that's saying, fine. I know that when it's... I yell at referees, I have to be careful because even the person in the 25th row can hear what I'm saying right. to the referee. So I have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten to the point where we're just like, it's like we know, oh, God, oh, no, 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 don't, no. All right, we, yeah, we're fine. Okay, we get it. But it's... <laughs> Head coach Todd today, UCF Volleyball. Coach, where can uh, fans uh, hear from you uh, on a regular basis when you when they don't hear from you on our podcast? Well, you know, I'm uh, at UCFBB Todd um, on Twitter, and um, that's pretty much where I put out my thoughts that uh, that don't end up uh, in Ian's press releases. If I have a thought or something, I'll throw that out there. Um, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll give insight on what I think is happening with the team or nationally or something like that. I'm not one to hold back my opinion. People will tell you that. Um, 
So that's that's where you can follow me. I'm I'm pretty much on Twitter. You know, my team keeps telling me I have to get on Instagram, but I'm resisting <laughs> as long as I can. Uh, I don't have time to do all this stuff. But uh, I am on Twitter, so you can follow me there. And you can leave it to Ian on UCF Volleyball's official Twitter, too. So, <laughs> sure. so good stuff. All right, head coach Todd Dagenay, I will see you on uh, Friday night for the Houston match. Thanks for joining us on the uh, Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Good luck the rest of the way. We'll be talking to you again soon, all right? Sounds good. It's always a pleasure, and thank you very much. All right, once again, huge thanks to Todd Dagenay for joining us uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, UCF VB Todd on Twitter. Uh, and UCF underscore volleyball on Twitter to follow the team uh, right. as they head down the stretch. Should be ex- an exciting last nine matches for UCF. And they wrap up, actually, the uh, regular season. That's the day before Thanksgiving against USF at home. So that should be a fun um, match as well. All right, time to catch you up on soccer. Um, and I want to catch you up on women's soccer in particular. They're 9-5-1, and 6-2 and in the American. Here's the story. Friday night is the big game at Tampa, at Tampa, at USF, season finale. Second straight year that the UCF-USF game will determine the regular season champion. The story for UCF is this in women's soccer. They are three points back of UCF. They've qualified for the tournament. They are three points back of USF in the uh, conference uh, standings. They're, right, USF is 7-1, and one, 21 points. UCF is 6-2, 18 points. Memphis is tied with the Knights, but UCF has the tiebreaker via head-to-head. If UCF defeats USF on Friday night in Tampa, UCF wins the conference, or at least a share of the conference regular season title, uh, and and by virtue of the tiebreaker, they get to host the American Athletic Conference Women's Soccer Championships. Eric Lopez, can they do it? Sure they can. They've been actually phenomenal on the road. This has been a better team on the road for whatever reason than they have at home, um, which is why they've kind of put themselves in this predicament that they're in. Mm. It's also how I they bolstered they their own RPI, by the way, because you get better credit for they the have, road but wins They could have made life a lot easier for them. I mean, they dropped the match to SMU at home. I mean, we've talked about it in the past. I mean, they're in this bubble because they've lost some matches they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, because I think this is a huge – I mean, obviously, the significance of this is significant in my opinion. I, I think this. If they win this match, and they have to win. I don't think this is a situation where a draw helps you at all. Right. A win, you win the regular season title. You host the conference tournament. And then, and then what it does, it probably puts you on the opposite draw of South Florida and Memphis. And what it does is it gives you a path to at least get to the final, mm-hmm. and you don't, and then you would play either Memphis or South Florida, and perhaps instead of both South of them, Florida, right. they could beat each other up and maybe knock each other out of the field of sixty-four. Uh, because I think if UCF were to win this match against South Florida and get to the final, let's say, and let's say they have the same result as last year where they lose on penalty kicks, I think UCF would slip into the field of sixty-four. Yeah, I think that's the only because of because of the benefit of doubt. It's funny we're talking about brands and all that in the football, and and then we just talked with Coach Dagenet about the situation with volleyball. I think UCF women's soccer would get the benefit of the doubt because of their history and their brand in soccer. Ironically enough, but they have to win this match. I think if they obviously if they lose or draw, they don't win the regular season. USF would win the regular season, which wouldn't be the end of the world for UCF because then they would just have a bus trip to Tampa for the conference tournament. The problem is. 
at that point, if they lose or draw against South Florida, in my opinion, Jeff, they would have yeah. to win the conference tournament to make the NCAA tournament. And keep in mind, uh, you want to be a top two seed so you can avoid playing an extra match in the tournament. Yeah. You know what's a bummer about this? UCF's RPI right now is 68. And you talk about how being yep. how they're a better road team than home team. They're on the road, they're 6-1-1. One, one. At home, yep. they're 3-3. Three, and three. And Yeah, which is yeah. so bizarre. Uh, and yet, I mentioned they're 68 in the RPI. 69, FGCU, who they had mm. that match canceled with. Remember at the beginning of the year, that first yeah. match, when uh, FGCU came in with a um, – they were th- number 38 RPI last year. Um, Florida, who you thought you would you – know, who they won – who they beat, rather, at uh, in Orlando – you know, you'd think that would be like a top 20, top 25, top 30 RPI team. Florida's 70th. But if you beat USF, USF right now is an RPI of 22. You've already knocked off Memphis, um, right. who has a pretty high RPI. As I saw them a second ago. Where'd they go? Yeah, they were in the 20s, right? They were in the 15 to 20 range. And here's the thing. If UCF were to win against South Florida, they would have the argument on the resume that they beat yeah. South Florida and Memphis Se- head-to-head. 17, 17, by the way, is Memphis's yeah. RPI, which is right. one spot so, ahead of Amanda Cromwell's UCLA Bruins, I should mention. Wow. So, yeah, no, this is a huge match. I mean, everything's on the line. They have yeah. to get a win. If they get a win, they're probably getting a nice boost in the RPI, too, which would help. Uh, and they would have this as an – because most of the soccer sites that I've looked at is right now has the American as a two-bid lead. I think they could squeeze in a third, but just in, to be, you know, you, you just never know. So if you see if you want to have as many advantages on your side as possible, mm-hmm. and it starts with winning this match uh, on Friday, this will set. This is the defining one that will help uh, the, to determine what your postseason fate will be in a lot in a, in a lot of ways. Well, when they beat Memphis up in Memphis, they jumped twenty eight spots in the RPI. They jumped from eighty eight to sixty. Yep. They're now at sixty eight. If they beat number twenty two in the RPI, USF. All bets are off where that RPI is going to land. So that match to end the regular season will be uh, Friday, October 26, 7 p.m., um, and it will be televised on the American Digital Network, on their American Digital Network Plus channel, facebook.com slash American Digital Network Plus, uh, to determine the regular season championship. All right, men's soccer. Um, ten two and two overall, three one and one in the American. Here's their pathway the rest of the way. Coming off a big two to one win at USF, um, they're at Memphis on Saturday, October the twenty seventh at eight. Um, the story for them coming into that game: Memphis two two and one, but seven four and four overall. Uh, they only have seven points in the league, but I mean, but UCF is right now at ten points, so. If you lose this match to Memphis, all of a sudden they're square with you on the in the conference standings. The Knights right now are tied with SMU at 10 points, but one point back of UConn for first. Um, that one draw, by the way, being with UConn. UConn's drawn twice so far this year. UCF's RPI is at 12, uh, and they're uh, ranked in the um, coaches poll uh, once again. The United Soccer Coaches poll have the Knights at 13. They jumped six spots um, from 19 to 13. They're ahead of Duke, just behind Michigan State. Um, And uh, once again, the story for the season uh, continues to be uh, Cal Jennings, who scored another goal against USF. Uh, In fact, his goal was the first of the game, unassisted, uh, where he just 
he's made a habit of like hanging around goalkeepers and intercepting passes, um, which is really something to see. But um, again, men's soccer right now, Eric Lopez, they are on the verge of, you know, you keep this ranking up, they could possibly host. I think you mentioned that in your column about all four teams from the fall making the postseason. Uh, how close are they to actually being able to host an NCAA first round? I think they're in great shape. I mean, they're ranked in the top uh, 15 in the polls, as you mentioned. I think their RPI, uh, as I wrote, is in the teens, which is where you want to be. I think they could definitely host a first-round match. In soccer, they do it different. You get A team could host a first-round match and then travel for a second-round match. It's yeah. not like, oh, you got to be there for the two matches. So they should be able to host a first-round match at this point. Uh, but they got, they're trying to think of winning the American Conference title. They're a point behind Connecticut. I mean, if you look at the schedule, UCF's got a softer schedule than Connecticut. Connecticut's still got to play SMU, the defending champions, who are one point back mm-hmm. as well in the standings, left in the schedule, whereas UCF does not. So uh, I think Coach Calabrese and company are trying to think about winning the conference first, which is a very legitimate shot because, again, as I just mentioned with women's soccer, if you win the conference tournament, you get to host, and that makes it a lot easier uh, to uh, you know, win the conference tournament and then improve your ch- resume of maybe not just hosting the first round, but maybe expanding beyond that. Who yeah. knows? But just but as important. Also, just, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to no, say. Just, yeah, I was just going to say. Just just as important as that is the fact that remember they expanded the field of the tournament this year of the yeah. um, of the Americans Athletic Conference Men's yep. Soccer Tournament. So it used to be only four two semifinalists Correct. now. Now they've expanded it to six, and the top two teams get a bye. Yep. UCF right now is tied with SMU in the points, so they really need to keep a pace of SMU because they have the tiebreaker over them so that they can get that bye. That criti- that bye is absolutely critical where you only have to win two matches to get the championship as opposed to three. Um, so that's one of the things that we're also going to have to keep an eye on as the season finishes up. You mentioned SMU playing UConn on uh, October 27th. That's a huge match. Um, the again Saturday October twenty seventh at eight for UCF at Memphis. Their season finale Friday November the second at home seven p.m. against Cincinnati, um, which we'll be keeping an eye on as the season progresses as we come down the stretch here. Uh, a couple of other things coming up: women's golf is heading to the Landfall Tradition at Wilmington, North Carolina. It's one of the bigger fall tournaments in women's golf, so we'll be keeping an eye on that Friday Saturday. Sunday, and uh, men's golf uh, actually finished up the uh, Tavistock Collegiate. That's the tournament that they play over at Isleworth um, in Windermere, which uh, all the big schools come out to this. UCF finished uh, tied for 10th in the uh, in the 15th annual Tavistock Collegiate Invitational, uh, tied with number 8 Illinois and number 21 South Carolina. Um, minus four total uh, for UCF. Bobby Bai finished uh, best for the Knights. He was 14th overall. Minus three on Thursday. Shot a 69 on Isleworth, which is not all that easy. Um, and a uh, three-day total of uh, two under par. So uh, congrats to Bobby. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so UCF uh, women, uh, women's and men's golf continues to roll along. And we got to start thinking about basketball, too, because... Uh, we're coming right down the stretch here, Brian, uh, Brian Murphy. Wednesday, November 7th, women's basketball tips off their regular season at Pitt. Men's basketball, would you take the a look at that? Preseason favorites, baby, in the Pre- American. That's right, preseason favorites, and we'll, and we'll and not to mention that, but two all-conference preseason selections in Taco Fall and B.J. Taylor. 
And also, um, they start their, well, they only play one exhibition game, but it's against our old friends, the Flagler Saints, uh, formerly coached by um, uh, by Bo Clark, the uh, son of Torchy. Bo, of course, one of the great players in UCF basketball history. Bo retired a couple years ago, but Flagler still plays UCF in exhibitions, and that's Monday at 7. Brian, you going to that one? Yes, I am, because... Uh, it's an opportunity for me to talk to more players, and I want it. So I spent I spent like today was a great day for me as I get very self involved because uh, I spent the morning talking to Hypo and some football players, and then I spent about twenty minutes with Johnny Dawkins this afternoon, which was followed immediately by going and talking to Todd Dagenet and a couple of level players this afternoon. It was what a, a day. day! I was watching my I, I was watching my daughter all day. I mean, I, I mean that's, you know, I, I don't get to do those fun, those fun things. I mean, I love watching well, my daughter. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I mean, what what you are doing is actually more important than what I did. So that, that so yeah, it's yeah. well, well, it's not as it's it, it it may be more important. I agree, but it's not as fun. I have to change diapers. Eh. You know, it's just it's you know, there are some things that we just don't want to talk about anyway. Um, so men's basketball, we will finally. Will we finally get a look at Taco Fall, B.J. Taylor, and Aubrey Dawkins all on the floor at the same time? On that's why you have to show. That's why you have to I show know. up. I, I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, it's it's like this. It's like this amazing blockbuster movie that we've been uh, waiting to happen for. By the way, by, oh boy! By the way, boys, uh, UCF fans are angry at Jerry Palm. Add Jerry Palm to the list now. Apparently, he just wrote on cbssports.com, quote, sorry, but it's true. UCF does not have a realistic shot at making the college football playoff. That's the headline. Mm. Oh, no. What do the kids say? R.I.P. your mentions. Oh, yeah. Come on, guys. Guys, right. be civil. Be civil, please. I'm, Listen. I'm pleading with UCF Nation. Please UC, be civil. Yeah. You, hashtag UCF Twitter Mafia. Guys, I want to introduce you to the concept of the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. So, this is getting up. Anyway, all right. Let's uh, let's wrap this thing up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, huge thanks once again to Todd Dagenet for uh, joining us. Uh, you can follow him at UCF VB Todd. And I also want to send a uh, shout-out to Sam Unger. Uh, thanks again uh, to him uh, for his support of our podcast as well. Uh, and all of our friends uh, at SB Nation who've been uh, great to us. Make sure you follow us uh, throughout the week. And we'll have a couple more things coming up this week. I'm actually working on a, a nice little column that I think you guys will appreciate on our bi-week UCF football approval ratings, uh, where you get to vote if you think uh, if you approve of the job of various different UCF football units because it's the bi-week and we're really bored. Uh, I will also... <laughs> uh, go through the process of of thinking about which uh, teams UCF fans should root for in Week Nine, and I'm hoping to make that a weekly feature uh, based on things going forward. Don't laugh at me, you guys. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna figure way, this out. Like Jeff, Jeff, I feel like Jerry Palm wrote this personally to you. Here he goes. I love this. Is a uh, no matter how much you may love the Knights, it's time to face the facts about the team and its schedule. Wow. Oh. Oh, oh, man. oh, oh, people are losing their minds. I, I, I kind of, that's yeah, great. Yeah, R.I.P. Jerry Palms mentions public enemy number eight. 
Big agenda, big agenda, conspiracy. ESPN paid him to write it, even though he writes for CBS Sports.com. <laughs> yeah, there's a conspiracy. There's a cons- the conspiracy has extended to CBS. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Um, and uh, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, where you can also find the latest from our buddy Luke Saris. Uh, also, um, Jeremy Brenner's been helping us out so much. Chaz Short's got a nice feature up on the Space Game uniforms. November 1st is the Space Game. Um, the re, uh, that Thursday night against Temple UCF's next time out on the field. Wait till you see these uniforms, man. They are unbelievable. Um, and uh, Chaz goes into it uh, quite a bit in depth. So I wanted to thank him um, for that. Uh, and also check out Derek Warden. He's got a, a new volleyball uh, photo gallery up that you want to check out as well from Jordan Pingle's uh, 2000th kill match as well. So that was pretty cool uh, that he was able to get up there as well. As always, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, and follow us individually, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy, and of course, follow us at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Boys, thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure. We all get along. We love each other. I know. See, see, UCF Twitter people, you can all get, you can, we can get into great arguments and still get along. We're still friends. Friends to the end. I mean, Eric was in my wedding for crying out loud. I didn't know Brian, I didn't know Brian at the time, but Brian probably would have been in my wedding anyway. So, uh, thanks again to you guys. <laughs> thanks again for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Enjoy the bye week, guys. Bye.